Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. Now I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Amy. Hi, I'm Amy, compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. I don't see her, but I'd like to thank Lucy for asking me to speak. I'm very honored to be here right now. So I'll start with qualifying for the newcomers. Um, I've been in OA for about six years. I've been abstinent for two and a half. Uh, So obviously along the way I took my will back a few times, which I'll get into later. Um, I came in, I was a size 14, 16. I maintain an 8 and 10. I stay off the scale uh, because the numbers don't uh, do anything for me. As I found out recently, uh, I had a physical with a doctor, and I told the nurse, don't tell me my weight. I thought she passed the message along. She didn't. He told me my weight, and but luckily I have a sponsor that I call, and otherwise I would have been spin- – I'd still be spinning. So, um, and my abstinence is uh, one plate meals, no chocolate. Uh, my food plan is three meals a day two optional snacks if I need it, and none of my alcoholic foods at night. I don't want them at breakfast. I don't want them at lunch. I want them at dinner because that's when I've earned it. That's when I've had a long day. I earned it. That's what my disease tells me. So I stay away from those at night. And if I deviate at all from my food plan, I mean, obviously my abstinence, but I'm very honest with my sponsor because the first time I came into the program, I hid stuff from my first sponsor, and I would just end up breaking down in the middle of meetings, just Falling. Um, I just. I uh, thank God. God struck me with honesty because I can't hold the lion. <laughs> so to give you some of my background, I grew up in a very small town in Iowa, about six thousand people. My dad was the only judge in town. My mom was editor of the newspaper, who wrote weekly columns about her children's adventures. So I had no anonymity in my hometown. <laughs> I, I had no anonymity in my hometown. I, if I got pulled over by the cops for speeding, they knew right away who I was. And even if I didn't get a ticket, by the time I got home, my dad had a phone call. So, but apart from that, I grew up in a very, very loving household. I'm still close to my parents. I'm number four of five kids. I grew up. Uh, I grew up Catholic. We. My dad was also a deacon. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. Um, <laughs> so when I first came into program, one of the things I had to do is redefine my definition of God, uh, and you know, to each his own. But for me, the way the, the Catholic God just didn't work. I needed a very loving, a loving God that I could always turn to, that wouldn't judge me, that I could give every mistake to, and hold nothing back, and um, that's what I have today. So. I truly believe I was born a compulsive overeater. Um, I don't remember this, but I know it because it was in my mother's columns. I <laughs> drank a bottle of furniture polish. I ate a bottle of aspirin. I The doctors were so tired of seeing me, they just gave my mom a bottle of Epicab. So I just do this so we don't have to pump her stomach anymore. I just, I don't remember this. I was just, it was compulsive. It just, you know, obviously it didn't taste good, but I just wanted something in my mouth. So... That's how I feel. I was born a wholesale reader. I didn't have a chance with this disease. Um, I ate a lot growing up because 
I felt I wasn't getting the attention that I deserved. Looking back at it now, that's not true. My parents are very loving. But with five kids, it is difficult to do a lot of one-on-one attention. And also, my three sisters, they were born two years apart. Eight years later, I came along. Four years later, my brother. So there was a big age gap. And I remember being in junior high, and they would come home from college to visit, and I just felt I didn't exist. I was so invisible because, you know, they were older, so they communicated with my parents differently than a 10-year-old does. So I hear them talking about politics and current affairs and what's going on, and I couldn't relate to that. And so I would just retreat into a shell, and as my sister now tells me, it was like I was PMSing 24-7. I was so angry that I wasn't the center of attention. I was so angry that my three sisters that I was compared to growing up, I'd get teachers who had been teaching for years. They're like, oh, you're so-and-so's little sister. Well, she was an awesome student, or she was this. So I felt like the bar was already set for Amy, and I had to be just as pretty, just as talented, just as smart as them. Again, this is me doing this. You know, nobody said that, but right away it was that perfectionism was there from the very beginning. So I used food. I would, because it was such a small town, you know, my parents didn't have any worries about me when I was 10 or 12 years old, walking to the convenience store that was about three blocks away. They thought I was getting whatever, water, but I was getting a whole bunch of junk food. I'd eat it on the walk home. I'd take those wrappers and I would hide them. Now, my parents never said I was fat or said, you know, watch what you eat or anything like that. This was just in me. I taught myself to lie, to hide the wrappers, to feel, you know, I I felt so much shame. So um, I just remember a lot of sneaking, a lot of lying, a lot of stealing. I remember an incident where I spent the night at a friend's house and she had, you know, this package of dessert. And so I'd find excuses to go upstairs and take a little bit from the package. Well, it was gone before you knew it. Her mom confronted me. So did you eat all this? And I said, no, like instinct, lie. Nope, not me. Didn't do it. So... I remember, uh, oh, the ba- babysitting was a really big thing. I, lo- I loved babysitting because we didn't have junk food in my house. So if I was babysitting somebody's kids, the poor kids wouldn't get any attention. I was in your kitchen before your car was out of the driveway seeing what you had. And I'd manipulate the food, whatever, to hi- me thinking I was so smart, to hide so you couldn't see the big chunk of whatever it was I took out. But that's just what I did. It was, it was my drug. It was my fix. I never worried about my weight until I hit seventh grade, and the summer before, I had been on the swim team, and a teacher pointed out, she said, wow, and you've gotten so thin, and that's, I think, the moment that I was like, oh, I need to be aware of my body. I'm getting, att- you get attention for being thin, so that just started the body obsessing, so it was all about the food, and then the body obsessing started in junior high, so... Weight wasn't still, I kept the weight off. I was very active. I was in volleyball, cheerleading. Uh, I ran. I, you know, I ate to make up for that too. So, but, you know, I always thought I was fat. I look at pictures. I was a cheerleader in high school. And, you know, I was not fat. I was tiny. But just that I just always thought I was, you know, huge. And it just tells me where that disease will take me. And so I stayed very active. Um, I remember uh, an incident in high school. My mom, I was, so I was never restricted. The most restricting I ever did was I'd skip breakfast. I'd eat a bag of pretzels for lunch and a Diet Pepsi. But by dinner, I am off to the races. I am binging. So restricting never really worked for me. But I do remember my mom asking me one day, you know, are you eating breakfast? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I, I said, I ate blah, blah, blah. So she went and checked. 
and the box or whatever it was hadn't been opened, and she threatened to take me to a food counselor. I, she had known I had been lying about food, so right there I knew I needed to lie better. So <laughs> that's what I learned from that. Uh, also, when I um, hit high school, my parents wanted me to get a job, so I worked at a restaurant, and I did so well at that job that they'd let me open the store, close the store, so I'd be by myself, so I'd be the waitress and the cook. And so I would have a couple hours before the dinner rush, so after school I started at 3.30, I'd eat whatever I wanted, and I did. I ate whatever I wanted. I I don't know how, but they, they were fine with it. I wasn't stealing it. They want, It was a bunch of high school kids that worked there, so they said, you know, eat whatever you want, but I, I very much abused that. And while I was working there, I ran into my first incident of bullying. I worked with a girl. I have no idea why, because I was very quiet, too. I wasn't super outgoing, and she just felt the need to pick on me. And it was a couple years of not physical abuse, but just verbal and emotional. She was just very mean, and so I just ate to, you know, to to escape. And so then I went through high school, uh, like I said, the weight wasn't an issue, the food was. But um, I got into college, and because I grew up in such a tiny town, I wanted to go where nobody knew me. Nobody had read articles about me since I was two, uh, and the cops didn't know me, so they pulled me over. So I went to a big university. It was about 30,000 students, and my entire family had done the Greek system, so it wasn't even a question. I had to do it. And just my experience wasn't good living in a house with 66 girls that obsessed on their body. (laughs) I felt, again, you know, in my head, I just felt I was invisible, that nobody liked me. And so I acted that way. I didn't make any effort to know any of the girls. I made my friends in the dorms the first year, and then I moved into the sorority house my sophomore year. I just didn't like anybody. Um... It made me feel very alone and, again, just a lot of very pretty, thin girls around me. And so I just, again, equated to, you know, to be happy, you need to be popular, you need to be thin. And so that equaled, you know, if I was working at a video store till 1130, the gym was open 30 minutes more, I'd get to the gym and do 30 minutes of the most hardcore working out I could before the gym closed. I took PE classes for credit. I just, I try, again, I just tried to stay as active by joining sports or whatever to keep the weight off. So other than that, though, I, I ended up quitting the sorority in, uh, before my senior year. And um, other than that, though, I had an amazing experience. I, you know, I still have some friends from college I still talk to today. It was, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. So then I moved to L.A. with uh, one of my, one of the girls I lived with in the, in the house. And... So growing up in such a small town, I had my friends from kindergarten until I graduated high school. I never remember making friends. I just remember having friends because I made them when I was so young. And in college, I went with one of my best friends from high school, and, you know, I, I was lucky I made a nice group of friends. So in L.A., this was such a hard city for me to make friends. Um, I, I did move out with one girl, but I was just always having a group around me. So because I didn't have any friends uh, – I ate. I ate just to, again, it was, the the loneliness was the number one reason uh, that I ate over. So that's when the weight started to pile on. Um, LA is a huge city. I didn't feel safe running at night. I couldn't afford a gym membership, so that's when the weight started piling on. And my roommate, she was my binge buddy, and 
I just remember I would be so mad at her. We, so we would decide for dinner, you know, we'll eat this big meal. And by dinner, she'd change her mind. I hadn't. I was too embarrassed to go get the food anyway. And I would just want to talk to her the rest of the night. This is what I did with my parents growing up, by the way. I wanted them to take me out to dinner. They wouldn't. I wouldn't talk to them the rest of the night. Food very much ruled uh, my mood. So that's when so I moved to L.A. in 2000, and that's when the diet dancing began. Um, I'd never really done a diet other than skipping breakfast and lunch but getting all my calories in at dinner. I started... I think the first diet I did was, you know, just drinking liquids, and I got food poisoning within three days of that. So I didn't keep that up. I remember buying a calorie calculator. You input how many calories you want to eat, and then it starts beeping when you go when you hit your allotted calories. Well, it would beep for me by lunch because I had just eaten so much. So I tossed that in the trash within, like, the third day of using it. I just figured I hadn't found the gadget, the gizmo, the pill. I hadn't found that magical cure yet. I figured I will get control. I will absolutely get control one day. I just need to find that magic gizmo that's going to give the control back to me. You know, and all I wanted to do was eat whatever I wanted and keep the weight off. Um, So then I did a... I did a very big uh, commercial diet, uh, a very successful commercial diet, and I was a great success. They put me on their website as a success story. They said, you know, Amy lost, I think I lost 32 pounds on that diet, and I was a size 6, which I maintained for maybe a week. Um, And what I wanted to do, and, you know, I had to write this uh, letter of, you know, how amazing the diet was and how, how much it did for me, but... You know, you give me prepackaged anything, and I'll knock it out of the park. I'll lose weight. That's not a problem. It's the minute I hit, quote, unquote, goal weight, there's no goal weight for me. When I think I hit what I want to hit, food is just, it's there. it was there within, I think, two days of me getting off that diet. I was just binging because I say to myself, oh, I'm at my goal weight, so I'm immune to gaining weight again. So I just started eating, and I gained the weight back very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, it was just a lot of, it was a lot of up and down and just, you know, I thought taping um, skinny celebrities to my bedroom door covered with Keaton Skinny, putting a fat picture of myself on the refrigerator when I go to the fridge, nothing, didn't matter, nothing kept me from eating the food. So, uh, I just remember also being very aware of what other people were eating, so how I said my roommate, if she didn't you know, be my binge buddy for the night or anything. And I couldn't do it in front of her because I was so embarrassed. I was so, you know, to me it was such a shameful disease that um, if I went out to dinner with a friend, I'd make them order first. So if they ordered healthy, then I had to order healthy. If they ordered bad and game on, I ordered bad. If I went to dinner with a skinny friend, you know, who was 5'2", then I would just eat a salad. But then I would, you know, eat so much afterwards. Uh, one of the bottoms I remember hitting is I drove to a fast food place. I got my food. I drove to a second fast food place to eat that food on the drive home and then got home and ate the first dinner that I got and would take the wrappers and throw them out, not in my trash can, but in somebody else's trash can outside. So because, God forbid, the homeless guy going through my trash can noticed what I ate. It was just, I just had this illusion that, you know, you know, the weight was piling on, but I had this illusion. Nobody knew, you know. I, I had it under control. It was all good. 
I remember another time sitting at my work desk and I was eating and the buttons flew off my pants. They got so tight, I, I literally busted out of them. And again, all this stuff, I'm like, I'll get the control, I'll get it back someday. Even when I was eating out of a trash can, like I throw a food away and then I'd be in there digging it out again. And it wasn't sitting, you know, neat. Not, I don't, I didn't care. I did not care. I just ate whatever I could. So I did the date, I did the dieting, and I remember my sister six years ago said, "Oh, I'm going to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting," and I promptly started making fun of her. And too bad you can't control it. I can control it. I'm not like them. I'm, you know, this is fine. But I said I'd go with her for moral support. And my first meeting was on Hill Street in Santa Monica. It was a Saturday morning meeting. And I don't even remember what the speaker talked about. I just got it. I, right then, I was like, I'm a close over eater. It just happened like that. I shared at that first meeting. And, you know, I've kept coming back since. Um, I got a sponsor right away. And I got abstinent right away. I was abstinent for about a year. Again, more weight came off of me. And that disease came knocking really loud again and said, look, you, you lost weight. You're immune again. You can eat whatever you want. So I did. I broke my abstinence. And it was a, a dance of some abstinence and then relapse. And it was just me taking my will back and me not fully accepting that I'm powerless over food either, that I can still control it at some point. I stopped working with my first sponsor, and then I started working with the sponsor, a second one, and, you know, I just, I didn't get her very often, so, you know, when I left her voicemails, I just, you know, said, fine, everything's good, it's all fine, and, you know, just never told her what was really going on, so I had some abstinence, and I broke it. I was in relapse for probably a year, year and a half, and I didn't know I was in relapse right away. This disease is so cunning, baffling, and powerful. I truly didn't think I was, because I was still going to meetings. I wasn't working the steps. Uh, by the way, this is probably like three years in program, and I had not done the fourth step yet. But I just, it took me a really long time to realize I was in relapse. And it just, I was tired of my closet looking like a department store from this size to this size. You know, and if I'm on this side of the closet, I'm good. If I'm on this side of the closet, I'm not so good. And... You know, and that old thinking, the one thing growing up, um, you know, some, I, you know, I love my parents. I'm so close to them. But sometimes I would say, oh, how's my sister so-and-so? Oh, well, she's gained weight, so she, she's not very happy. So they never, you know, came up. They never said anything about our weight, but they say to the rest of us. So I was like, okay. So, so that old thinking came back, like, to be happy, I have to be thin. If I'm big, then I can't be happy. So um, I really wanted to get back into the program, back into my abstinence, and because I was, just, I was just so much happier. When I was abstinent, you know, I went through a bad experience, and I um, broke up with someone I thought was going to ask me to marry him. The weekend I thought we were going to get engaged, he broke up with me. And I was abstinent, and I didn't, and I didn't lose my abstinence over that. I, you know, that's, that brought me closer to God. I was like, God has a plan for me. If I'm supposed to be with this person, then I'm going to be with this person. God has somebody picked out for me. And I also got into, you know, God, if I'm not meant to be with anybody, then make me okay with it. So that really was a big step in my spirituality in the program. And then I don't know how I lost my absence after that. It could have been, you know, my favorite TV show is canceled. I don't know. It was <laughs> something that didn't, it was so small and short. So... I 
So two and a half years ago, I started working with another sponsor, and, you know, first thing was, like, have you done your four-step? And I've been in the program for four years. Nope, I haven't done my four-step. I've been three-stepping it for four years, and I obviously was not working. So we did the four-step, which, you know, people say, and you don't know until you go through it. It really is life-changing. And, you know, the first step I got, I was powerless over food. I got it, and then I didn't get it, and I got it, and I didn't get it. Today, I got it. If I get in the ring with food, it will... It will beat me up every single time. There's not a chance in the world I have if I get in with my alcoholic foods. So, second step, third step, that was me redefining God, came to believe a power greater myself, restored me sanity, and then turning my will and my life over to the care of God. That took me a little longer, but I, I understood it. I just I didn't always choose to do it, but I understood it. And then the fourth step, just, you know, if you're new and you're working the steps, I wouldn't. I would not recommend dragging your feet on the four step. I did it. It didn't work, and it's not that scary. It really isn't. And you're going to work with somebody that is not going to judge you for it. And I mean, I came out with things that I thought would shock her. No, nothing. It was just about me finally cleansing myself of anything that I had eaten over in my past, and just it really. You know, I didn't think I had any character defects. When I first heard about the four-step, I was like, game on. I'm going to have the shortest list because I'm just a people pleaser. I just, you know, I'm just too generous. I'm too nice because I care so much about what you think. And then the four-step taught me people pleasing is one of the most selfish characteristics because it's all about me. What do you think of me? Do you like me? Do you love me? I'll give you these things to like me. That's not me being selfless. It's me being very selfish. And... That was very hard to see after I did the fourth step, but I got through it and then started, you know, did the fifth, sixth, seventh steps and started right away on my amends. That, that went very well. The, the amends was, I was very nervous about it because I wanted everyone to see me as perfect, so to admit fault was very hard for me. But especially one of the people, the guy that I broke up with, or that broke up with me, actually, um, the week after I were going to engage, he was on my amends list. And, you know, it had been a couple years, the thought of making contact with some of these people, but you have to do it in order to get over the compulsive overeating because I just want, I want a clean slate. And so my amends went fine. Um, the story I like to tell is one of the best amends that I made is, Growing up, part of my frustration with not being seen in my family, because I thought my three older sisters, you know, they have all the attention, everyone loves them. I took it out on my little brother, who is four years younger than me. Emotional and physical abuse. Uh, he's got physical, I was just a mean kid. And he, you know, now I look at pictures, he was so cute. I don't see how I could have been so mean. But that all that anger I had and frustration, I just, I let him have it. And... So I wanted to make my amends to him, and um, so I took him out to dinner. He didn't know I was going to make the amends. I just said, let me take you out to dinner. So we went out to a restaurant, and before I could open my mouth – oh, by the way, uh, I should backtrack. He's been in um, he's been in program for three years. He's sober. Um, he's been sober three years. So before I could open my mouth, he started doing his amends to me. <laughs> Neither of us had any idea that we were doing a ninth step on each other, and <laughs> – it was beautiful. We were laughing. We were crying. And he he made his mention to me, and I made mine to him. And I really did eat over a lot of guilt of how I treated him growing up. And it was such a – it was a good thing I did it before I ordered dinner. <laughs> um, it was such a weight lifted off of me. And it was just such a – it was such a spiritual experience. Um, 
you know, now we're so close. He's getting married next year, and, you know, he's he's just amazing, and I never would have thought I'd have that. I never would have thought I had that relationship with any of my siblings. I love them all, you know, um, as much, you know, as whatever happened growing up. You know, I'm very grateful for each and every one of them. And But to see uh, our relationship, my brother and myself, how it's progressed and moved on because of this program, there's no way we would be talking to each other and friends that we are if we both weren't sober in our programs. Um, so, and just to see, you know, how far he's come, it's just an inspiration to me as well. And uh, so anyway, did the amends, did uh, my my ex, I came up, the one thing I do with my disease is it writes these drama scripts that, <laughs> stuff that hasn't happened, conversations, but I'm like, I went through this whole thing of I'm going to make amends to him and he's going to want me back. Oh, by the way, I'm engaged to another guy at this time, my husband now, who I wouldn't have met without this program. He is just, uh, you know, my best friend, the love of my life. I, you know, couldn't ask for a better partner. And so I'm engaged to him and I'm like, oh, I was telling my sponsor, I'm like, my ex is going to want me back. He's going to want to marry me. Me, 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 by the way. All about me. And no, I wrote him an email. I had an old email address from when we were dating. I was like, I don't even know if this works. I didn't have a phone number. We didn't have any mutual friends I could even get contact information for. So it was fine. He's like, I'm sorry, too. Haven't heard from him since. (laughs) So this program has brought me a life I never imagined possible. I've been married. It'll be two years in October. I stayed abstinent during my wedding. I stayed abstinent on our honeymoon when we were in the middle of nowhere. I'm in Tahiti. I really want to do a 12-step meeting and explaining to the hotel clerk what a 12-step program is, it was very humbling. She didn't get it, and she also was looking at me a little funny when I was bringing up food. So, I. But that's the thing. That's the other tools. You know, meetings are amazing, don't get me wrong, but there's other tools. You're, you might be at a place you can't get to a meeting. So, you know, I pray every single day. I don't think I've gotten out of bed in years without first saying a prayer and, you know, thanking God or having God get me through the day. Um, same thing, I don't fall asleep until I set a prayer in my head. Um, so I just took God with me on my trip, and I had some literature, and it was fine. And I was present. That was the biggest thing. If I wasn't abstinent during the wedding process, and by the way, if anyone's ever gotten married, normal girls obsess on their body before they get married. It's just that wedding dress, and I didn't. I kept abstinent. I had an amazing time. I was present throughout the whole entire day, not only for, you know, myself and my husband, my entire family, if I was in the food or any, whatever else could be anything, honestly, I wouldn't have been there. I would have been so mentally checked out. Um, I, I've excelled in my career more than I ever thought. I run a department. Never thought that would be possible. Never in a million years. So, you know, God tomorrow may decide to take this away and I get laid off from my job tomorrow. So, you know, God forbid something may happen with my family. Who knows? So I just live it a day at a time. It's God's will, not mine. God's plan is a thousand times better than mine ever could be. Ever, ever could be. So it's just me turning my will constantly over to him. Because when I take my will back, I relapse, I gain weight, I become just, I become a complete, I'm a completely different person than I was before I came into the program. Um, I've gone through a lot of things in the last couple of years, and thank God for this program because I don't know how I would have gotten through them. And, you know, even 
I mean, I personally feel even if somebody doesn't have an addiction, the 12-step program is for everybody out there. It's just such an amazing guideline to deal with the real world. And, you know, the hardest thing, you know, lately has been, you know, managing people. I've never managed people before. And that comes with a lot of different challenges. And I, you know, have people that remind me of me before I came into program. Thank God I had those experiences because then, you know, because then I can handle it. And I just... I bring God with me wherever I can. I, you know, if I'm really struggling in program, I will get on my knees and pray. And, you know, this is coming from a girl who went to, you know, mass twice a week and getting on my knees is just an annoyance. And now I willingly do it because it humbles me. And it's, it tells me, it shows me I'm not in control, that I need to turn this over to God. Um, and I'm just so grateful for, I'm so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful, you know, for my sponsor. I'm so grateful that you guys are here, and I think that's it. Right. Thanks. <laughs> I guess, is there anyone that has questions? Can you talk to us a little bit about how you went from how you grew up in terms of religion and such to the spiritual relationship you have? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the question was uh, how I grew up from the religion that I, I was brought up to where I am today. And religion when I was growing up, in you know, nothing. I, I, I think religion is great. I think it gives us such, you know, it gave me such a good foundation. But it was, I think I, I'm a rebeller. If something's forced upon me, if you're forcing me to do something, I'm just going to rebel. It's in my nature. I'm like a little child. So I was forced to go to Catholic school. I was forced to go to Mass twice a week. So I rebelled. I was like, I don't want to do that. I, you know, forget it. I'm, I want to do what I want to do. So, you know, and just, you know, the God that, you know, I was brought up was, you know, if you do something wrong, you're going to be punished. Or, you know, God or God was so big, he didn't care if I had a cookie in my mouth. He wasn't going to do anything about taking that cookie out of my mouth. He had way bigger problems to deal with. So I really had to redefine God by just defining it the way, you know, just how I would, I, I picture I was like, you know, you know, the most loving parent I could. What would the most loving parent be? It would be, some, you know, a parent that would just, no matter how many times I fell down, would always be there. No matter how many times I turned my back, would always be there. And also just, if I don't believe God has a plan for me and is in control of my life, then I'm just going to spiral into chaos. So it was, and I had to fall down a lot. I really, I relapsed several times. That was me saying, no, God doesn't care. He's not going to pay attention to me, whatever. Eat, eat, eat. And, you know, that just got me miserable again. So I had to learn and I hope nobody else has to go through this because, it's, you know, but just for me, I had to learn like several times by going down the hard road of with the food again that, you know, God really is there for me. And so for me, it was just, it, it, I had to do a little bit of struggling, but, you know, that's, you know, that's not for everybody. But I just, I really just, at the end of the day, I didn't have a choice because I knew it was on the other end if I, if I didn't, so. Yes, um, I, I came in. A little late, sorry. Uh, but you were saying that you you use the word humble quite a bit, and it seems like a very hard word when you say it. So, what does humble mean to you? The question is, uh, what does humble mean to me? Humble means 
me humbling myself to God, that I'm not in control. It's not all about Amy. The world does not revolve around Amy. It's the world's a much bigger place. I'm just a small part of it. And that the humbling to me is hum- just humbling myself to God, me giving my will and my life over to the care of God, because if I put myself back in control, thinking I'm in control, it, it's just chaos. So when I've really been struggling and getting on my knees to myself, I say I'm humbling myself to God, saying I'm, I'm yours, you're in the driver's seat, I'm along for the ride, I'll do the footwork, but, you know, just let me know where you need. I'll do the footwork. Oh, absolutely. I, if I, I can't just sit there and say, God, you know, please, you know, give me what I deserve or strike me absent by me just sitting around. I have to do the footwork. I have to go to meetings, call my sponsor, do the step work in order for his plan to happen. But if I just sit around, then, you know, that's not his will. His will is for me to be of service and to be out there. You're welcome. The question is um, to discuss the weight and if I've ever gone through uh, body obsession. And yes, so much body obsession. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'd like to say when I first came into OA, the body obsession went away. It didn't. And sometimes I, sometimes I can still struggle with it a little bit. Uh, sometimes I'll walk by a, a window where my reflection is and I'll be like, wait, what, you know, like kind of like move myself, you know, but... The difference is that body obsession isn't all day, every day, and I would cancel social plans because I felt too fat. I didn't deserve to go out to dinner. I didn't deserve to go out to drinks. I didn't deserve to go to this party. I'm too fat. That is not it today. Today, it's whether, you know, even if I feel fat, I still need to be of service. I don't cancel plans. I don't check out of life just because, you know, I'm obsessing on my body. And if I am, if I see I'm obsessing on my body, which the experience I discussed about knowing my weight, I started spinning out. I called my sponsor and talked to her about it. I prayed about it. Um, I've had, you know, the the weight just, I like I said, I fluctuated so much. I've been anything from a size 6 to a size 16, and... You know, I pray every day to get into acceptance of my body. Every When I got into acceptance and admitted paralysis over food, that's when, and this is when I was overweight and in program, that's when the weight started coming up. It wasn't because I did a diet or I did a, a workout plan. It was because I gave my, my life and my will to the care of God and admitted powerless over food, and then that's when I started seeing it come up. But it's every day. Every day I ask God, you know, please help me keep me in acceptance of my body today. Thanks for your share. What, if you could only say one thing to someone about the program, the thousands of people who listen on the internet, what would you say? <laughs> uh, the question was if I could say one thing about the program to the people listening, what would I say? One thing about the program. Um, if you're willing and you work it, it absolutely works and it saves my life. Yeah. Oh, thank you.